Welcome to the Open House Podcast with James Tatum. I'm going to cut the rest of that intro out, and uh, we're just going to stick with that. Uh, we got George and Zach here today. What's up, guys? Hey, how's it going, Coach? Uh, enjoying the Sunday, getting some extra calories in. That way I can get ready to kilo Zach and Tyree and Andrew this week. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's going good. We're just spending the day off, uh, just cleaning the house, catching up on some things we fell behind on, so... Yeah, it seems like a uh, a good way to spend a Sunday. Uh, clean the house or prepare for next week's training. Uh, that's a that's some good mental preparation. You're always doing something to uh, get ready to kilo the uh, the competition or the teammate. Um, so whichever one comes first, I guess. Yeah, George uh, can't seem to help himself when it comes to kiloing people. Boys, yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to train. I mean, that's why they made those little plates. I mean, that's it's got to be. No, it is. It is great because he he even sends me a text throughout the week. He's like, "You gonna he, you gonna kill Tyree?" I'm just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, think about it, because um, I heard somewhere I feel like back in the day that the plates used to have like little hollow spots in them, so you could sneak like a little metal weight in there or something. Mm. And that coaches used to do that every now and then when an athlete was having trouble with the weight. They would just throw like an extra little piece of like uh, weight inside that plate where that little hollow spot was, and it would actually weigh a little bit more than they expected. Yeah, well, the plates before the year two thousand were uh, uh, what were they? One and uh, one and three quarters was the smallest plate instead of a half kilo, because you could only jump by two and a half kilos on the competition. So, like, let's say you open up at a hundred your next attempt would have to be 102.5. Uh, and then the attempt after that would have to be 105. And the only time you could go up a little bit is if you were going for a world record. So then it would be 100.5 to take the world record or uh, 103 to take the world record. Um, but other than that, I think those little, like, it was one and three quarters, and then you had um, quarter kilo plates to take world records. And then that was really it. So I'm sure some coaches kind of made something up like that because they realized the value of taking those small jumps. Uh, and uh, I don't know when that happened, but then in 2000 is when they made like the official uh, one kilo uh, jump rule because women's weightlifting was in the Olympics and it made a lot more sense because if you got a 48 kilo woman, what's the weight class for women now? 49. And then there's a lighter one, isn't it? 46. Mm, I think it's 45 and 49, 45, then to 49. So if you're a 45 kilo woman, you know, two and a half kilo jump is a lot. Let's just say you're snatching body weight and you have to jump two and a half kilos. That's a 5% jump. That's yeah. I was going to say there for a while, I used to enjoy my three kilo jumps on snatch. So, <laughs> and I'm an 81. So, yeah. So, I mean, we just got right back into the rhythm is just talking about weightlifting and going down the rabbit hole of weightlifting. Uh, which is a sign that we needed to get back on this podcast. We've taken a break for a while. Uh, I got pretty busy and we've got a, uh, I went and got my CDL. And so I didn't have a whole lot of times. I was working during the week and then doing the school on the weekend and uh, didn't have time for a podcast. So that's what, uh, that's what got sacrificed. But now that that shit's done, it's time to get the podcast back on. 
And uh, you guys did a good job of pushing me to make sure we get back on this. Yeah. So if you guys are listening, please feel free to send out some topics for us to talk about too, or anything you want to know, anything training wise, recovery wise, even maybe some nutrition topics. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that actually, you threw up a, um, you threw up a little questionnaire. So it gave us a few topics to start with, but, uh, before we get to those topics to see what, uh, what has gone on since we, uh, last did uh this podcast um it was probably even we did american open uh finals right i think we did nationals too nationals and american open finals uh the state championships Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah because you got uh you won the state championships southeastern championships and um a couple other local meets as well so we've we've took a we had a little bit of a long break (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've also been making a point to do more competitions just to get that experience. Um, just to make sure we get the team out there and, you know, start doing what it is we're training for, you know, to compete, go out there and, uh, see what we can do, go out and have some fun. Uh, it, it got to kind of like a weird little, um, spot, you know, like the longer, the big scheme of things is, when COVID came around, all the competitions kind of slowed way down. Even back then, I was like, all right, we're going to do a competition and we're going to try to do one every quarter. And, you know, at least, so that's at least four competitions a year and probably more for a few people. Uh, but then it, uh, COVID slowed it way down. But now we're getting back onto it. You know, people are hosting more competitions. It's easier to get out there. Uh, it's easier to find some. I think we're even like debating between two separate competitions to do in North Carolina. Um, because there's starting to be some more coming up. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm actually enjoying the um, local competitions too because it's kind of just like another heavy day, but then you still get that extra like rush of having like some some new familiar or unfamiliar faces watching you and stuff like that. So definitely see how it translates here at the Arnold here soon as well. So Yeah, for sure. It's like a, it's like a cheat cheating way of getting yourself to lift heavier, especially if you do well in competition. You know, if you do well under that pressure, you know, it gives you an excuse to like use the energy of a competition or a crowd to like to push you on those numbers. Especially if you're right at that like that tipping point of like, I'm ready to hit a PR. It's just any day now. What day is it gonna be? And then you go and you use the competition to hit that PR. It just gives you that extra energy. It's like uh you know, getting off a pre-workout and you're saving the pre-workout for that one day. And you're like, all right, today's the day. Let's get on pre-workout and let's just kill it. Um, competition kind of acts like that. Yeah, it's a huge confidence boost too because, you know, we don't really um, peak for these local competitions. We normally save the peak for the bigger competitions like the Open or the Finals or Nationals. So then going in there and just kind of training through it and um, feeling a little beat up and then still pulling out some big lifts, even PRs. It's just a huge confidence boost as well. So when you do go into that taper and peak and you're actually feeling recovered, there's no telling what you'll hit. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you hit a few PRs almost in every one of those meets, huh? You know, state championships might have been first. You hit a uh, you hit a PR there. Big PR total. That was like 10 kilos, wasn't it, George? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a 10 kilo PR increase there. And then went from states to finals and added another three kilos so 
13 kilos total over the year. That was what? Clean and jerk at finals? Clean and jerk in total? Uh, yeah, finals was a PR competition snatch, PR total, but not uh, the clean and jerk wasn't, but it was a kilo under my best in competition in 163. So I hit 164 at States. That was a PR. Mm. Yeah. And then, then the most recent competition, we threw on a 165 clean. So little, you know the PR every every time. So that uh, that's working out well for you. All those competitions. Um. And uh, Zach, you just hit a PR snatch, didn't you? PR snatch and PR cleaner jerk. Yeah. So I mean, that wasn't even a competition. That was in your garage alone. No, one, that wasn't in your garage was alone. That was in week, Raleigh. Yes, last week was over in Raleigh at NC Strength on a deadlift yeah. platform. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, fired up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like that's a, you know, you get, uh, you get in that situation, a new gym, new faces, it's kind of the same thing, you know, uh, a new energy. And, uh, so you hit those PRs cause that was a long time coming because that was that tipping point. Uh, and that's another example, like you're, you're training in your garage and then you get into an environment. That's another way to like set that tipping point over to, uh, you know, just start destroying those PRs. Yeah, no, it's definitely a game changer though for me. Cause I mean, in my garage, you know, it's like it's the same scene every single day. I'm looking at the same, the same point of view as I'm setting up, and it's just the same thing. So when I go to another gym or I go over to a competition or I go over to your place to train, for some reason I feel completely different. I feel like a new weightlifter, a better weightlifter, and I think it's just because I'm not in my same scene as I normally am. I'm somewhere different, so the pressure's on in that case to me. Yeah, you know, speaking of training in the garage and stuff, um, I was actually talking to Coach about this the other day, the daily minimums, just to add a little extra oomph to the training, you know, get you a little bit fired up for the day. And um, he actually has some pretty good ideas about that. So you want to kind of talk about that, Coach, or daily minimums? Hmm, yeah, what were we talking about? Uh, we, were, we were talking about, like, choosing daily minimums. Is that right? So we're, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, that... I forget the specific thing that we were talking about. It was more Go, so, re- refresh my memory. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it was more so about finding that weight that's like, especially if you're on the upswing. You know, if you're on the upswing and you're and you're making your lifts consistently and you have a high make ratio, that uh, daily minimum has to at least be eighty five percent to ninety to ninety percent. And that way, when you go into practice, you just you're kind of excited. You know, you got a challenge ahead of you, and it just kind of pushes that daily minimum to where you slowly start to get used to lifting that 90% weight consistently. And then next thing you know, it's 92% consistently, then maybe 94 consistently. And then it turns into PRs and it kind of gets you out of that. Um, just going through the motions sometimes when it's like 80% you're training the garage by yourself, puts a little bit more intent to it as well. I feel like. Yeah. Okay. I'm remembering now. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was choosing a weight that was significant to you. You know, you got that range of weight and you're always kind of pushing it up a little bit, but then choosing a weight that's uh, that's meaningful. Uh, so in weightlifting, you know, there's a few numbers that are meaningful that uh, in the United States, you know, a hundred kilos is meaningful because it's a nice round number. Uh, and it's kind of a big milestone. Um, another one is 102 because in America that's 225. Um, and then, then you could just pick a bunch of them, kind of all the way up, uh, all the way up the line. Uh, Forty six is one hundred pounds. 
you know, 102, 225, you know, 125 is 275. That's kind of the significant one. Um, 137, 300. Um, and by picking numbers that are significant to you, it gives you that little bit of extra like mental uh, excitement about it. It gets you excited when you're in that boring kind of monotonous state. And because this, I mean, weightlifting is, it's a lot of the same thing over and over again. So you got to find the excitement in uh, some of the other things like, you know, hitting a significant number, a number that you, uh, you have put some value on. And it doesn't even have to be anything specific. Some people are very, uh, I don't know, like, a, like if they were a tax accountant, it might be uh, a specific percentage. Oh, okay. Well, based on these numbers, you know, 92.3% is, you know, the number and whatever that ends up being. Um, or if you're somebody that's like more motivated by external things, it would be like 137 because that's kind of like the show number, like 300 pounds. You know, it's just a significant number. Um, and you know what? This is a little bit of an aside. Um, 136 is not 300. Um, 137 is 300. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen 136 um, mm-hmm. get labeled as 300 a couple times. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I don't know. Something about hitting 90% plus in training. If you go in and hit 90% every day, you leave feeling good. Yeah, and not everybody's in a situation where they can hit 90% every day. Um, there's different, like, stages of your lifting career where, you know, if you're a beginner, like a really big beginner, um, and you've got the technique down and you haven't like really developed a real one rep max, you might be able to hit 95% every day. Cause then your technique just breaks down and it's not that demanding. And then you kind of get into that intermediate stage where, you know, those numbers might move around, um, where you might not be able to hit 90% every day. Um, or sorry, you might be able to be hitting 90%, uh, more often, but not 95%, because at 95%, your technique is getting a little bit better, and you're a little bit more efficient, so it is a little bit more taxing on the body. It's harder to recover from those heavy numbers. And then you get into an advanced person, you know, and this this defined advanced as, you know, somebody with a, um, you know, a consistent technique uh, and a little bit older of a training age, and it's consistent that uh, 90% might not be, uh, that might be like a once a week thing. You know, there's some people that are like that where they just won't hit 90% near the end of my lifting career. I would, uh, I wouldn't even hit my openers before a competition, but then I would have no problem hitting my openers. Um, So, you know, it just depends on your programming and things like that and the different stages uh, that you're in as a lifter. Um, so that those percentages might change. So you might have to adjust what your minimums are every day. But let's just say for George, you're right in that intermediate uh, area where you can hit 90% and you can kind of go all out um, and you could start choosing those numbers. And then as you start hitting 90% every day, you'll start seeing that it'll turn into 92%. But then you'll hit another huge PR and you're going to have to go back down to like 91%. Uh, and that's just the way it is. Um, I guess my point there is that you like, don't follow one hard rule with minimums. You got to be able to just like goals, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt your goals. You have to revise them 
you kind of have to move them around and make uh, make sure that you can uh, figure out what works the best. I think I read a good quote the other day that was like, the more strongly you identify with one, uh, I don't remember what they were talking about, like one belief system, the easier it will be for you to start ignoring uh, facts as they come up. Because if you just get stuck too too much on one system, you know, one belief, one way of training, one of this, you'll start ignoring some of the like the common sense things that are coming up. Like, hey, like I'm supposed to hit ninety percent. That's supposed to be my minimum. Like I'm not a good weightlifter unless I hit ninety percent every day. Um, and then you start ignoring some of the things like, oh, I might be injured. I need to adjust that down to eighty five percent. Oh, my training age is increased. I need to adjust that down to 85%. You could still progress, but uh, just don't ignore some of the obvious things that come up. You know, be flexible. Change is needed. Uh, yeah, that's why I like the uh, the old two-miss rule. You miss twice, move on. <laughs> that way you don't get stuck in that loop of just trying to make sure that you hit that percentage, even if it's not there that day. Mm. You can get it the next time it comes around. Yep. So, Zach, what are you thinking the daily minimum sound uh, appealing to you? Are you going to pick a daily minimum here soon or what? No, I really like that idea of having a daily minimum um, because you know you're going in, you're going to hit this number like regardless. Like that's your minimum and that's what you're going to hit. And so if you can hit that, it kind of puts you in a place where you're you're consistent and consistency b- builds confidence. So if I put that daily minimum at, we'll say 105 on snatch and every time Monday and Wednesdays I'm hitting 105 on snatch, to me, that's building confidence because I'm being very consistent with that number. And whether it's an on or off day, I've still hit a goal that is set in place for me. Yeah, 105. All right, you said it. Spoken uh, into existence. Look at that. Yes, because what do we got? Snatch plus overhead squat. Well, you're going to hit more than 105 on that on Monday. Um, so... We got to work up to a heavy one plus two snatch plus overhead squat. Um, Wednesday, what do we got? Two pulls and a snatch? Yeah, I think that one's at uh, 80% though. And then it's the heavy clean plus two jerks. Uh, okay, so like that would be an example. The program doesn't allow you to have a situation where you're going to hit that minimum in that exercise, which that's okay. You know, follow the parameters of your program. Hitting daily minimums doesn't work with every single program. But maybe the mentality of daily minimums, knowing that you could is important yeah so speaking of uh topics i had got one of the topics on the from instagram someone had mentioned if you only had an hour to train or an hour to hour and a half to train how would you condense your weightlifting program into that time frame you guys have any ideas i I want to hear what you guys have to say before i say what i think so if i had an hour to hour and a half um I'm really big on warm-ups and I'm really big on some type of cool-down. Um, so definitely I would limit those to probably about 10 minutes a piece. And then I would break down the day. So probably like Monday would be like a snatch day or Wednesday would be like clean and jerk day. And then Friday would probably be like a mix of both or depending on the phase of training. And then I would use the majority of that time. So like the 30 or 45 minutes that's left to do some type of complex training. So like maybe snatch pull plus snatch plus overhead squat 
just so I could get that little bit of extra volume and still be able to get a solid enough workout to get a good stimulus within that short amount of time. And then that cool down would probably be some type of like mobility work. Just because I know that when I go into like Wednesday or Friday, I'm only going to be working one of the lifts, whether it's like the clean or it's the jerk. I'm going to do some type of mobility work to follow that up. That way I can get a little bit of extra volume for each lift as well. So like if Monday snatch, I'll do a snatch complex and the snatch mobility work to cool down. And then Wednesday would be like a clean and jerk workout or clean workout with clean mobility or jerk mobility to cool down. And then the same thing for like Friday. That's how I would probably try to approach it. I like that way of thinking because I was thinking completely different. I was thinking more like based off our programming. So if like tomorrow only had an hour, hour and a half to hit everything that James wrote up for us, it would obviously start with the warm up. My warm up would have to be condensed. So maybe throw out the warm up exercises that may not be as crucial to my warm up or just not going as in detail with each one, cutting all of them down by however many reps or whatnot. And then also with rest in between sets, in between the sets, um, that rest window is going to have to be cut down because um, you, you have some lifters who can go two minutes of rest and go right into the next heavy set. And then you have some who tend to take those longer breaks, those four or five minute breaks, and they go into it. So you'd have to tell yourself you're going to have to work harder because your rest is going to be cut down. So you're going to be getting taxed a little bit faster. You're going to be starting to feel the fatigue a little bit more than you typically would, um, which and would relate to a good mental training day. Um, but yeah, that's the way I kind of see it. You would just have to kind of cut down your, uh, your warm-ups, uh, not as in detailed, and then also just how you're resting in between sets. You got to put a time cap on that so you get to that next set so you don't start to cool down too much. And then obviously it starts to turn into a training day to where your top sets are just starting to get very sloppy and you're losing value out of that training. It might just be best to move on to that next exercise so you can get the work out of that next exercise and the rest of the program for that day. Hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting. I uh, actually think I agree a little bit more with Jack than I do George on this one, which what you said isn't bad, but I was just thinking, the way I was thinking about it was more of within the parameters of a pre-written program. Um, but the first thing is, you know, warm up. You could probably cut that down to three minutes. And you just got to do something kind of aggressive, getting the blood flowing and cut everything that's unnecessary out. Um, and then a lot of those little things you can actually do in between sets. You know, like if you've got a little... Uh, you know, you do your warm up, and then you take the bar, then you do some shoulder circles or something. And then you take, you know, 40 kilos, and you see that your hips have in between 40 and 50 kilos. Let's just say if those are your jumps and your warm up, then you do a little calf stretch, so you kind of mix it in there a little bit as needed. But you just, you just trim a lot of the fat, you just get what you do, get rid of what you don't need. Um, and I think that would be more than enough. And the second thing is that brings us down to work density. That was one of the things that uh, Louis Simmons was big about. He was like, oh, these weightlifters, they don't know how to train. They have no work density because, you know, they just do a snatch and then they sit down. 
which is good. You know, it makes sense in the weightlifting world that you need your rest. Um, but in that situation, I would crank up the work density. Um, and just getting more work done in a little bit of time. You know, a good way to do that is to uh, not bring your phone in at all. You know, then you're not worrying about filming. You're not worrying about looking on social media or anything or calculators or anything. If you can't figure something out, you know, you just got to take a guess. And, you know, like if it's like uh, your percentages are, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Okay. Um, And maybe let's not say 100. Let's just say 50, 60, 70, 75, 80. So, you know, 80% is, let's just say 80 kilos then you don't even have to think about the rest of them. You just take jumps that are somewhere within that range, whatever's easiest to load on the bar. And uh, so then you're not wasting time loading the bar. You do your set, you load the next weight, you maybe rest 30 seconds, and then you just get right into it. Um, And it's going to suck for a while, but you're going to be able to build up that work density um, and you're going to be able to um, handle that a little bit better. You know, there's a few people that this is definitely not going to work with. Um, for example, like a super heavyweight. Um, there's just no way. There's just You just can't get around it. A super heavyweight is doing more work to snatch than a lightweight person. Because, you know, a lightweight person is they're, they're just moving their body weight around. And it's not that much. Super heavyweight, they got to move their whole body weight around and they got to control their body. So it is a lot more taxing. So this is like the work density thing is a lot easier than for the lightweight people than it is for the heavyweights. But uh, Louis Simmons was not a small person. And if he said that weightlifters work density was shit, you know, super heavyweights could have better work density too. Uh, It's just going to suck a little bit more for them than it is going to be for the light guys. Uh, But that would be the first thing is just go faster, you know, see how much faster you can go. Uh, there's one guy on the team that does this, uh, Anthony, and uh, he runs out of time, and it'll be like six, six sets of two is what we had on the squats the other day, and he didn't have enough time, and uh, so he did. Um, he did a set of six on his last set because it was light; it was a speed day, and uh, I think he got all hyped up about that, and it was like, oh, I got a set of six, so I'm going to try really hard. And the set of six that he did was faster than the first uh, three sets of two that he did because he got hyped up. And I was like, well, he, you know, the pressure was on. So he turned that switch on and he went all at it. And then, uh, you know, it still gave us that training effect because he was moving faster. You know, there was a little bit of that stress in there, but he just did, um, you know, that's an extreme example of work density. He just combined the sets. Another thing too with this, um, when it comes to being restrained and your time cap and training with an hour, hour and a half, as an athlete, it's your responsibility to relay relay that over to your coach. Let your coach know what you got going on in your life, so that way, like we're we're all on a team training program. We all get written the same thing. Uh, some of us might get something different. I know George is on two days, so his looks a little different than the rest of us. But for the most part, we're all on the same thing. But if you're the one guy on the team to where you only have an hour, hour and a half to train every day, you might want to tell your coach that. So your coach can start looking to do a more personalized thing for you, but you can still get the same value out of the programming that the rest of the team is getting on. Whether that's being 
uh, imams or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah, what that's... I was kind of thinking about the complex training. That's because I was thinking about from a personal perspective and kind of going along the lines of work density too. I feel like with the complex training, you can get a lot more work done at a lighter percentage that's not as taxing, so you don't have to rest as long either in a shorter amount of time. Yeah, because you I mean your hands are on the bar the whole time during complexes. So, you know, it, it's definitely is more time under tension. Because if you're, you're doing a snatch, your hands are only on the bar, you know, for three seconds. Um, but a complex, I mean, that could go all the way up to 40 seconds. And that would be one set. That'd be a terrible complex. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had some of those uh, about a phase ago or two phases ago. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, definitely been in that situation recently. <laughs> yeah. uh, two pulls, two power snatches, two snatches, two overhead squats, right? Something yes, like that, that seven-part complex he had us doing. For yeah. both snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah, yeah, those suck. Um, I'm pretty sure I got that complex from uh, Dave Fleming. He used to give me that shit. It was terrible. Uh, but uh, it, it works pretty good. Uh, so you guys are getting better, hitting PRs, so I don't want to hear too much crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a couple different ways. Uh, you know, something else that you said is, like, talk to your coach about it if you have less time. Another thing that somebody just did recently, Amanda, she was like, hey, you know, work schedule change, blah, blah, blah. I've only got this much. And then it wasn't really, like, a change of the program. It was really, like, these are the things that you should cut out because you have no – you know, these are things that you need to work on. Um, and these things are stuff that you could do without for now. Uh, and then just what to focus that hour on and what to cut out. Because if you, I mean, let's, let's face it, if you're overhead squatting 125% of your snatch, you could cut out overhead squats. You know, it's, there's no need for you to do that. You could take that time and work on your jerk that's only you know, 75% of your clean or something, you know, um, it's just making a choice on, the on which exercise to prioritize, but, uh, don't only work on your weaknesses because, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta d rely on your strengths while also working on your weaknesses. And usually, uh, you have more fun when you're doing the things that you enjoy and that you're good at. Uh, so if you just take all those out, you might not enjoy trading anymore. So, you know, keep that factor in mind. Yeah. Enjoy the highs and the lows, not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah. I think another topic that got brought up was, um, training with intent. So what do you guys think about that? What comes to mind? Mm. Yeah. Training with intent. When I think of training with intent, um, it could be really anything because when you look at sports, sports has different aspects of it. It has the physical aspect. It has the mental aspect of the sport. And you get, your intent has to get better in every aspect of every sport, whatever you're doing. Um, for instance, I used it the other day in the group chat, a quarterback, right? A quarterback has to get better at reading the plays, at reading the formation on the field, having that better understanding of his receivers, um, but also knowing the playbook and then getting better at being able to deliver that ball, get the ball out of his hand faster and whatnot to avoid getting sacked or getting pressured. 
So his intent needs to be physical and mental, just like any other athlete in any position, any sport, weightlifting, football, basketball, whatever it might be. Yeah. So we, we got a little confused on that too, because we we, uh, our wording was wrong in the group chat, which they, they called us out on it, which was good. Um, hard work and intent, which is a little bit different. Um, but yeah, intent in training, you know, is, is really important. It's sometimes it's hard for people to get intent. So you almost have to kind of trick yourself into, uh, making sure that you're more present and focused. So let's say, for example, um, this is the way you can trick yourself to having more intent for like pull-ups. If you're doing pull-ups and you're only like an inch off the ground, you're just like, ah, whatever, I'm doing pull-ups. All right, now you get on a rope climb and you're going up a rope and now there are consequences to falling off of the rope. You know, your intent has just skyrocketed. You're gripping a lot harder, even without even realizing what you're doing. And then the training effect from rope climbs is so much better than, um, than just pull-ups where you're only a foot off the ground. So like, that's an example of the difference between thinking of the difference between lifting with intent and lifting without intent. You know, when you're snatching, you can't really do that because you don't want to like not use chalk or something. So you have better intent. Like you can't do that because then, then you start messing up your technique, but you need to figure out a way to, you know, have that same intent or that same focus, um, on snatching. Uh, as you would is if there were consequences, you know, that's why Ivan Abjay have said, you know, the best, uh, the best training environment is one where there are gun pointed, pointed at you. And he's like, Oh, wait a second. Maybe not that guns pointed at your family while you're training. You know, that was his like kind of a messed up way of doing things, but that was his, uh, way of telling his athletes that you guys need to have intent and that there are consequences to every single thing that you do. So then, you know, that was, uh, they had better intent because there was more consequences with it. You know, luckily in the United States, we don't have those consequences, but we have the ability to, uh, you know, recognize these things and be like, all right, we need better intent in training and we can, uh, start focusing on that. Yeah. I like to tie intent to like deliberate. I kind of view them as the same, like intent practice with deliberate practice. And it's why I always give you guys so much crap and always talk about kilo on you guys because it uh, adds a little bit more intent to my practice to where I have to make sure that my technique's dialed in, that I'm fast enough, that I'm um, extending long enough at the top, that I'm not cutting any corners short. Because if I do, then I know that I'm not going to kilo you guys and you guys are going to kilo me. George, mm. if I can walk into training one day and kilo you, oh my gosh, I'm going to do, do backflips and I can't do backflips. <laughs> Well, now you got some new training. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's a good way to train. Uh, we used to do that at Muscle Driver all the time where we just try to kilo each other and we would we would push each other hard. Uh, and that's another way where you can, just like how we were talking about using competitions to push you over that edge of improving, you know, using that kilo, you know, just trying to kilo somebody as that little bit of edge to push you over into that next that next PR, you know, that next uh, wave of progress is uh, is pretty big. Uh, so, Zach, uh, you were talking about like a quarterback and you have to be like mentally and physically prepared. Uh, and I, I was thinking about that. I just listened to a podcast that Andrew Huberman won, um, and he was talking about nicotine and 
you know, he was talking about different, uh, different, you know, ways of, uh, using nicotine, getting off it. And then, uh, you know, kind of the side effects of nicotine. And one of the things that they said, which was interesting to me because I used to dip when I trained and it was kind of like a stimulant. And I thought it kind of helped out with, uh, with training. Um, but the studies actually show that it has a decrease in, uh, physical and uh, neuromuscular performance, which within, if you, if you dip within, or if you have nicotine within like an hour to an hour and a half before training, it has a uh, decrease in neuromuscular, um, you know, uh, activity, I guess, and activities in that performance. Um, but it has an increase in mental performance. So what I was getting when I was taking nicotine was that that, uh, that mental kick where I was able to focus a little bit more and to help on that, um, that mental side of things, um, which, you know, nicotine's probably not ideal because now we know that it kind of has a decrease in the physical side of things. Uh, but that was an interesting podcast. I don't remember what it was called, like nicotine or something, but then it's interesting that you're talking about the, the mental and the physical sides of things and about how to like dial in both of them. And some people have a hard time dialing in that, um, that mental side of things. And so a couple of ways that you can do that, you know, some people do that with pre-workout with caffeine and all that stuff, but then there's some other, like, um, there's some other pre-workout stuff. There's like, uh, those pre-workouts with like L-citrulline in them. And, uh, what do they usually pair that with? You guys know that off the top of your head? Yeah, but there's some other things that can kind of help you with like mental focus uh, before training too, and that might be worth trying out to see how it uh, how it helps with weightlifting. You know, maybe like some Alpha Brain before training. What's that? Uh, On it is the company or something? Yeah, I was gonna say I've seen Alpha Brain a lot. Um, someone that um, I follow, his name is like Powerlifting Dietitian. He's really big into um, just like overall like. I would say providing athletes with supplements that are worth your money in a sense. So he talks about what a good pre-workout would consist of. And it was like beta alanine, caffeine, creatine, L-citrulline. Mm-hmm. And um, those were like the main components that he said, were, as far as like mental clarity, actual like increase in performance, as far as like uh, ne- neuromuscular and energy too. So it's kind of interesting just to kind of see how you look at certain pre-workouts and some of them lack one or the other supplements or if it doesn't have enough of each of the supplements, which I can't remember off the top of my head, what the right dosage was per, uh, like whatever, however much you would need for beta alanine or L-citrulline or something like that. But it's on his page. You probably check it out. Yeah, that would be a, you know, that would be ideal to do. There was some company where they started just selling individual ingredients of, um, of, uh, of supplements. And I forget, I heard this on that Andrew Huberman podcast too. And I forget the name of the company because he was like that. He was like, you know, you can't just take this pre-mixed, you know, uh, thing, you know, because beta alanine is something that you almost, uh, you have to increase the more you take um, or you can increase and get more benefit out of it the more you take it. Like when you first take it, you only need a little bit, tiny bit. um, And then your skin is itching like crazy, but you kind of gain a resistance to it. Um, and then the same thing with, you know, some of the other stuff and you just can kind of dial in and take only as much as you need, or, you know, take a little bit more of this, but you still only need, 
you know, 200 milligrams of caffeine, but to get more L-citrulline or something without going into 400 milligrams of caffeine, um, there might be some value in that. Just getting these, uh, these pre-workout ingredients, uh, individualized. Um, but then again, it has to be sustainable. And if that's not sustainable for you to have, you know, 15 different bottles and taking scoops out, especially if you only have an hour and a half of training, um, make the best use of your time. So I have a question for you, coach. Um, when it comes to intent, I want to kind of go back to that. Um, your intent and training, it's obviously going to change. Uh, we'll use our programming for example, for instance, um, because last week was a little bit lighter, uh, lighter percentages to where this week we're going all out. How would you, um, how would you manage the intent week to week based off of the programming you give us? Yeah, that's a good point. So one thing that a couple of people were starting to call last week, uh, which was lighter percentages, fewer reps, more sets. Uh, they were starting to call it deload week. And uh, I was telling them, no, it's not deload week, it's speed week, which is not a significant difference, but it's enough of a difference. And that's what I actually got that idea from Will Fleming. And I really liked it. Um, and he does, you know, velocity type stuff and he just calls it speed week. And uh, I just like the difference in that intent, intent. You know, this isn't a break. You know, you still have to focus on lifting. You still have to focus on, uh, you know, extending fast at the top uh, and being precise, moving under the bar with aggression and um, precision. So that's that intent there, um, which is, you know, it's still not a deload week. It's not a break. It's you're still working on things. You're still uh, focusing on the lifts. You're going all out um, with what you're doing, you know, within the parameters, even though it might only be, you know, six sets of two at 70%. You know, it's a, it's physically easy, but it it's almost like you should be mentally drained at the end because you were kind of focusing, you know, maybe not even drained isn't the right word, but mentally taxed. Mm -hmm. You should be mentally taxed because you were focusing a lot on um, your lifts. And that might not, it might even be like passively focusing. It might not be like actively thinking elbows high. It might just be feeling your body, observing your body um, and things like that. Um, and then this week, you know, we're going into the heavy weeks. So this is week four of the current group of exercises. And, you know, this is where we're, uh, we're going heavy. You know, that's, you know, it's a little bit easier to have intent. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, the the consequences are higher because, you know, the reward, the risk reward is changed a little bit. You know, the reward is you could hit a PR snatch. You know, you could hit a PR snatch plus two overhead squats um, on Monday. So that's like a way of, you know, climbing up a, a rope instead of doing pull-ups. Because now there's just a little bit more excitement about it. So it's a little bit easier to have that intent of going all out. Because then you're just putting all that effort into it. So almost in like heavy weeks, it's it, it's easier to get that intent. Because those rewards are within sight. Uh, on deload week, it's harder to get that intent. Because 
you know, you you can't really see that reward. You mm -hmm. you have to, uh, you know, you have to uh, you have to work a little bit different, where uh, you're still working hard and you're still focusing and things like that. But it's not uh, it's not as easy to, you know, go all out. Does that yeah. answer that question? Yeah, it answers it. I was gonna say to add to that, I really like to use the uh, speed weeks since we're not using deload week anymore. Uh, to yeah. fix particular problems so like for example i was shifting the bottom of my snatch a lot to the right side so this whole week i've been focusing on uh shifting well not shifting necessarily to the left but catching more in a balanced position and actually feeling a little bit more of the weight so my left side loaded a little bit more so i could balance it out going back into this heavy week to see how it transfers over too so that could be an example of training with intent during a deload or speed week whatever week that your team uses but i also came across that um that uh, information for the pre-workout. So I figured I would go ahead and add that real quick. So uh, for caffeine, it was three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And then for the uh, citrulline malate, it was six to eight grams per uh, day. And then betaine was the other uh, supplement that we didn't think of. And it was 2.4 grams a day. And then beta alanine was four to six grams. And then uh, creatine, five grams a day. So those were the um, supplements that he recommended. And he was actually saying that uh, pre-workout is just overpriced caffeine. So probably get those individually and make your own. Mm -hmm. That's an accurate way to say pre-workout overpriced caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be worth doing, you know, especially if you're at that stage in training where you're serious about, um, about training and you want to do more things to help you through it. Um, you know, I, it's interesting because we could go down this list of every single little thing that you should do to be successful. But, um, do you have to do all of them and still progress? No. But, uh, uh, if you're new and you jump in and you do all of these things and you're taking the exact four to six grams of beta alanine or, you know, you know, sometimes it's more about being sustainable and uh, making sure you show up to training because that's that's goal number one is showing up to training. But it, once you show up to training and you're doing consistent and you're ready to do the next thing, then you just add another little thing into training. You know, it doesn't you don't have to go out and buy the unmixed pre-workout stuff. But if you're at a point where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm showing up to training, I'm consistent, I'm doing everything else, I'm eating right. And I'm ready to add something else in to help me improve my performance. That's when you kind of start adding in some more of these specific things like, you know, your, your pre-workout in, you know, separate bags and you're mixing it up based on how you feel that day. I don't know. <laughs> so like, that's a very specific thing. It's cool. Um, and it's useful and helpful, but, uh, you know, make sure you keep, the big picture in mind doing things that are sustainable and doing things that are right for you that you're going to do consistent, uh, in the long term. Yeah. I was going to say it's excessive. I don't think anyone would be able to do that truthfully. Yeah. I would have done it. I, I'm not going to lie. I would have done it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember and, that story. Uh, you said you'd walk around with a gallon of protein. I'm going to drink a gallon of protein a day. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Our farts were what? crazy. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we were doing two grams of protein per body weight in just liquid and we were still eating the rest of the day. Um, 
So how much did I weigh? At Muscle Driver? No, this is when I was in oh, high school. I was about to say. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, just as bad. I was I was into it in high school too. Uh, yeah, so I was walking around with a gallon bottle of uh, chocolate protein and just drinking it all day. And uh, <laughs> yeah, our farts were pretty bad. Your gut uh, health had to be all over the place. <laughs> no, we we were we were young enough, and everything else that we did, I, I'm telling you, we were extreme. Everything else we did was like spot on. I was going to um, say, I, I feel like I heard a story about uh, fish oil at Muscle Driver that you guys were taking a lot of fish oil at one point. Yeah, I was taking a lot of fish oil before Muscle Driver. I was taking like 30 grams a day um, and I would do that for like a week and then I would uh, and then I'd bring it back down to the decrease inflammation. And then that came up again at Muscle Driver. And I think at that time I was uh, I was kind of broke, so I wasn't actually going all out on the fish oil, but I think Travis got in on the fish oil and started taking a lot of it um, at that time. And then he was feeling pretty good. And Glenn was promoting it. He was like, all right, let's start taking a lot of fish oil. Uh, and it works. I mean, it, it, it really does, you know, especially if you get some good fish oil, you know, it's, uh, but again, is it sustainable for everyone to take 30? That's, that's one capsule of fish oil is one gram. So 30 fish oil pills throughout the day. So you're burping lemon or fish flavor stuff all day um so i i definitely made sacrifices for, for uh for training and gains and i was very meticulous at different points in my training at different things um and then like i had that that main goal in mind and so it was easy for me to do these little things because it was just like oh this is going to help literally every one of my choices was all right, is this going to help me get to my main goal or is it going to hurt me or is it going to do nothing? All right, it's going to hurt me. All right, I'm not doing it. You know, is it going to help me? Yeah, it'll help me. All right, let's do it. Let's find a way to make it work. Um, so, but that was, you know, that was a certain time in training. And then other times, you know, as I got older and had different uh, things come up in life, those... uh those decisions were made differently. And then I was still able to train and still be able to consistent and, uh, and I still got better. So, you know, it's, uh, there's not really a clear answer there, but if you want to go out and buy just L-citrulline creatine and beta alanine. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're saying you look good, you feel good, you lift good. So maybe that stuff will help you feel good and you'll lift good. So who knows? Yeah, I agree. It's like a placebo effect. Sometimes you can get a placebo effect from something. So even if it doesn't work, but it makes you think it'll work, you'll still perform better. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. that's why lying to yourself is so effective. It's like a placebo. <laughs> you know, you get a weight and you're like, ah, somebody's like, ah, I can't hit this weight. You know, you just get good align to yourself. Oh, I can hit that. And then you just get some, some confidence. And then you go after it and you attack a weight with the, with com confidence and then you end up surprising yourself. I've hit a few PRs like that. Um, it doesn't work all the time because, you know, there's a fine line between deluding yourself and, uh, you know, just lying to yourself a little bit to get you to that next level. Yeah, it's an interesting topic too because I actually did that the last time I PR snatch. I was like, oh, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to snatch 130 today. I end up snatching 126, which was a PR, 
but it took the significance away from 126 where it just felt like it was another routine lift because it wasn't mm-hmm. 130. Well, I like what you yeah. tell what you normally tell me with this, George, every time I talk to you about it, you always tell me to go in there and tell myself I'm going to hit a one kilo PR, hit that one kilo, and then chase after whatever that goal is going to be. And I know for a long time it was 117 on a snatch for me. And it, and I was always like, oh, I'm going to go for 117. But that was like a – at some points, that was a four-kilo jump for me. And you'd be like, well, take 114, hit 114, and then go 117. Get that PR first instead of going in and trying to go 117, missing it, then going, okay, I'm going to go for a PR. But at this point, I pulled 117 four or five times, missed it. And at this point, now I'm trying to get 114. My body just I can't keep up anymore because I've used my maximal effort for the day on a failed attempt. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that's the nice thing about having those fractional plates. Cause then you can just do that, you know, just little small steps towards your, towards your main goal, you know, small achievable steps. I like it. All right. I think that's a pretty good spot to uh, leave off. We're almost up at an hour on our first podcast back. This is number 52 which if we were doing it one podcast a week, it would have been one year of podcasts. Um, so I guess that's a significant number. You know, that's a, going back to that whole choosing your daily minimums. We just hit a significant number on podcasts, 52. All right. Uh, you guys got any last things to say, George? Uh, no, I'm good. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at George81KG or at the House of Weightlifting page. All right, Zach. Yeah, just real quick with the pre-workout thing. I get this one all the time from all my friends. They're always like, what pre-workout do you take? For a long time, I didn't take pre-workout because I was lifting in the middle of the day during my lunch break. I've been taking it recently just because I train at night now after dinner and whatnot just because of my job now. But it's not just pre-workout you need to be taking before training. You got to eat. You got to eat food. Food is fuel, and that will fuel your training. And I, I tell people that all the time. It's the first thing I tell them. like, well, first of all, I just eat food. I make sure I eat breakfast and make sure I eat lunch and I make sure I eat snacks throughout the day. So I'm, I have my nutrition. So I have my proteins, my carbs, my calories, whatever thing, everything I need for training, I have it. Then I use that pre-workout as that supplement. Cause that's what it is. It's a supplement to help give me that extra boost in training. Yep. Get the basics first. I like it. Food. Yeah. Some people don't realize that they don't eat food. You gotta eat food. Now they don't eat breakfast. They don't do any of this other stuff. So I like that. All right, uh, Instagram at House of Weightlifting, and uh, check out our website, houseofweightlifting.com. I think that's all I got. Thanks for listening.